Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. I'm here uh, in the studio without Wade. So it's just like, it's just calm, it's nice, sophisticated, all of those good adjectives. I'm here with Pastor Gregory Lyon, one of our campus pastors here at Wisconsin Lutheran College. Why don't you say hi? Greetings. Good to be back. And I will say it's, it is kind of nice to not have Wade here. It is. I love listening to his sarcasm and his inappropriate inserted comments. But, but it's nice to I'll have do a, my best. It's nice to have a break. I I yeah. believe it. So uh, Greg's here going to we're going to talk about uh, maybe campus ministry stuff, but I think what I'd really like to focus in on is maybe people who know Christianity from afar or even are a part of the Christian church. Um, but maybe not super serious about their theology and how easy it is for them to fall back on what we would call a work-righteous kind of view of the world. Even if they may say the right things, we're saved by Jesus Christ alone. It just it keeps coming back. And, and I think probably with your discussions with uh, especially uh, freshmen coming in onto campus here, you probably sense that. Both of us teach an introduction to scripture course here, and certainly the um, questions, the answers to questions that come our way. It's very exciting. <laughs> uh, but even as a pastor, I had noticed sometimes lifelong Lutherans, and you would go visit them towards the end of their life, and there was just, a, they just, they couldn't help themselves but kind of say, I've been a good person, I tried really hard, and all those kinds of things. And so we'll start with the uh, context of maybe campus ministry, but uh, we'll, that's probably where we're going to head is this idea that the opinio legis will, will remind me to um, um, explain that later, that keeps rearing its ugly head within the Christian. And so we'll be back for um, our free-for-all, but before that, we have to have our disclaimer. This show doesn't speak for our churches, our church bodies, or our employers. To be honest, much of the time, it probably doesn't speak for us. We will be thinking out loud a lot. So approach what you hear with a healthy skepticism, because, well, as a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything. If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out, look around, and realize you were just listening to a podcast. That's right, a podcast. So go live free, friends, and don't let us get in the way. back for our free-for-all and it's another sports one so if you're not a sports person just skip ahead uh, feel free to do that at any time uh, to the main topic I know we're a little sports heavy a little bit on our free-for-alls in this podcast but that's who we are I was kind of hoping we would have some kind of animal fighting animal thing that's always the, the fallback yeah it's it, a good one know, it is but uh, it's not my favorite I can't imagine why. Also, Wade got some new information about animals and what they do to each other that is um, uh, distasteful. And so I'm trying to keep him from bringing that up on the podcast because we may lose all uh, a certain section of our listeners, let's say, nice middle-aged ladies and above. Right. And he does need saving from himself yep. regularly. Yeah. So thank you for that. Yeah. So uh, the question that I'm going to pose here is... 
Um, do you force your children to cheer for the teams of your youth? Or do you encourage them to cheer for the teams of their youth? So this is a situation. Both of us do not live in the cities and states where we grew up. And so we have different sports affiliations that are not of Wisconsin. Um, and for my case, Minnesota, that's where uh, my children had their childhood. So do I encourage them to be, in my case, a Vikings twins um, fan? Or do I say, you really, if you want to live here and like eat my food, you have to cheer for the teams I cheer for. So um, I'll give it to you because I know this is a maybe um, something that you've lived through because you grew up in Southern California, but our... Chicago fan. So I actually grew up in Illinois. Oh, did you? I didn't know. That. I was I born were... south of Chicago. Oh. Um, so I am Chicago through and through. Okay, so I didn't you're move legit. To... Right, I am legit. legit. I did okay. not move to California until I was going into eighth grade. Okay. So the Cubs and the Bears and all of that were deeply ingrained in me. And I just before I get into it, I want to give you credit for um, kind of restraining yourself slightly coming right off the Cardinal sweep of the Cubs. It was a painful weekend, but you are a better man than I would have been, and I rarely say that. I'm not. If it was 3-1, I would have been all over you. But 4, I feel like... No, it was you just little... feel bad for me. So just for, you know, uh, uh, this is a very big series. Three games at Wrigley uh, for the St. Louis Cardinals and the Cubs, and uh, the Cardinals came in and just absolutely... I mean, all four good all games. F- right. But, but they won all four. It, so... And the Post-Dispatch called it the Wrigley Massacre. It was, it was an absolute disaster. <laughs> but that does lead me into this. So um, my son, Samuel, who's eight, is hanging on every pitch in the fourth game when the Cubs are already out of it. And he's still holding on hope. And I'm like, buddy, mm-hmm. it's just time to let this team go. <laughs> but he is so ingrained as a Cubs fan now. I have ruined him for life. So to the question, is he a Brewer fan? No. He will not take on whatever Wisconsin has to offer. It's all Cubs all the time. Now, when my wife and I first met, because she's all Wisconsin, uh, we were together for one of those Monday night games when Brett Favre threw like 800 yards against the Bears and just (laughs) torched them. And I told her, I said, if you want this relationship to work, you have to not talk to me for the rest of the night. And we set up an agreement right away. Um we are just we're off limits come sunday if the bears are playing the packers um since we've we've kind of reached we've reached an agreement across the board we decided that our children have no choice when it comes to baseball they will be cub fans football <laughs> i concede it yeah i can a, see that i'm a bigger cub fan than i am a sure. bear fan uh but with that said my daughter hates the bears and she doesn't like the cubs either hmm so I don't know what I did wrong. She's young, I, though. She's seven. That's mm-hmm. old enough to make. I believe that falls within the age of accountability. Okay. <laughs> I think it's eight. Eight? Maybe it's one okay. more year. Well, before she I'll work on her decision. for another year. <laughs> um, so you made a conscious effort to say, in this family, we cheer for the Chicago Cubs. Right. As for me and my household. Okay. And, and now, here was the biggest moment that I realized I had won that battle. It, I don't remember how many years ago, but Greg Maddox was still pitching for the Cubs. 
And I was talking to my wife, Amy, about this. And, and I said, um, oh, the Cubs are playing the Brewers tonight. And she said, oh, who's pitching? And I said, I don't know. Tell me who's pitching for the Brewers. And she didn't know. Mm-hmm. I said, who's pitching for the Cubs? And she said, uh, let's see. He pitched last night. It was Greg Maddox is up tonight. And I'm like, gotcha. Yeah. You are in. So she yeah. will not admit it publicly, but she's a Cubs fan. Yeah, too. I could see that. Like, if you're from Chicago and you had to choose, you'd be like, Cubs is my thing. And if you were from Wisconsin, for sure, if you had to choose, it's Packers. And right. Everybody else is second. Yeah, so I get that. So um, my children, my, my oldest daughter was born in Wisconsin, lived here for a week, and then maybe two weeks, and then we moved down to Texas for a vicar year and then moved back to Wisconsin and then to Minnesota, and she was just turning two, I suppose. So, and my other two children were in Minnesota, so it's Minnesota. They're Minnesota people. Did you get enough of the Texas feel, though? Like, it's pretty hardcore down there, yeah. what they do to their families. Yeah, yeah. And we were we were in Houston, so we were close to A&M, but there were really a lot more Longhorn fans yeah. than, than other ones. And uh, I don't like the Astros. Like, I very rarely hate teams. I hate the Astros. What do you have against the Astros? I just, I just think their uniforms are ridiculous. I think that... Um, you pick I, I your just, NCAA teams based on the uniforms, don't you? Don't you? When you do the the brackets, <laughs> you're um, that guy. You know, I, I you know maybe I am a little bit sub subconscious. I have nothing against yeah. the Astros. Yeah, I, and they were they were rivals for the Cardinals in the '90s, I suppose. early 2000s. I just never liked them. I never liked Houston. Well, the Killer Bees in the '90s and, and well, that whole thing and, and the Astrodome. Come on, you know it's just the whole thing. Yeah, it's just it, the whole thing. So the Astrodome, but, but I like the Oilers, the football Oilers. Based on the uniforms? Because they probably. were pretty sweet uniforms. Probably. And Warren Moon. And Warren Moon. Yeah. So good. my kids were in Minnesota. And I, and I honestly, like, because I have, so I was born in St. Louis and lived there for a while. So diehard Cardinals, diehard Blues. Then we moved to California. And that was right in uh, Showtime. So Magic, yeah. Byron Scott. So you can't help but be a, a Lakers fan. And, you know, professional football, I don't, those aren't football professional football towns they just weren't at that time and so i'm kind of indifferent about that and my then we moved to michigan and my whole my dad's side was big michigan fan so i was always a michigan fan but it always bothered me that um i just kind of besides the blues although now they're the champions um i just (laughs) kind of happened to pick the really nice teams from the town that i live in you know like you know what i mean and so i felt like i was even though i i think i have a legitimate um reason to cheer for all of those i kind of felt like a um bandwagon kind of guy bandwagon kind of guy so i made a con just let me i'll let's talk let me just finish my thought there so i made a conscious effort to at least say you know here's the minnesota gophers they're kind of cool to my kids like maybe you should but they didn't they didn't no, really not at all no. now i i don't want to get serious about this and because this is not at all serious but Sometimes when you're serving as a pastor in a place where you are not, like that's not your team, yeah. I almost felt this this need to at least kind of pay attention yep, so sure. I could talk to my members. Sure. And man, it took every ounce of me to care about <laughs> what the Packers were doing. You know, and then my first Sunday, I'm wearing a the green stole for the first time that has a yellow cross yeah. on it. And everybody, oh, I can't believe you're wearing that much Packer color. And man, I hated it. but. Yeah. You kind of do. You kind of do. I did not. I, although 
Um, I did not get into NASCAR when I was in because that was kind of re- that yeah, was kind of really their hard sport. To get into NASCAR. Um, Although my dad's huge into it. Is he really? Yes, hardcore. Really big. Time. Like he's yes. a mechanic kind of guy. Like he wasn't his, when he yeah. was at the seminary. Yeah, yeah, he was the guy that everybody went to. Oh, nice. So I made I made an effort to be like, hey, these are the twins. They're kind of cool, but I never had them on TV. So that's the deal. So I mean, my girls could care less anyway. Right. But they do um, sort of pay attention to the Cardinals and Michigan football a little bit, or at least they'll they'll cheer for them. And I'll say, none of them chose my wife's teams, which are all Wisconsin. All Wisconsin teams. Yeah, although I think they're probably Packer fans. So did you two have battles no, early on? No, she doesn't really care. That's no fun. Yeah. The divided house is a lot more fun, yeah, a little bit more yeah. entertaining. I mean, she should rib me a little bit if uh, Wisconsin beats Michigan. Um, but, um, she, you know, she's, she, she supports me in my sports affiliations, which means she doesn't care, which means she doesn't really care. That's a great way to support someone. That's right. So, um, but our, our, they do have favorite players. I should say my oldest daughter does not care at all about sports. Um, the middle child, big Yadier, Yadier Molina fan. I can't stand And Sophia, my youngest. Yeah. Dexter Fowler. Like, she won't watch the game, but I'll yell down, Dexter Fowler's up. She'll come down and see it. And and you've just pinpointed, like, two of my most hated Cardinals right now right. because Dexter Fowler is a traitor and Yadier. Yadier Molina, to me, is probably what Javier Baez is to you. You know, I don't get why everybody hates Yadier, but then I do. Yeah. And, and I, let me just tell you, if he was a Cub... You would love him. I know I would because I love Javi, but (laughs) so it goes. That's good. So I think this is actually, this may seem like a silly conversation, um, but when you have children, I I, I literally thought about this. Yeah. Like, what are we going to do here with with this? And I did, I made an effort to say, this is, you're a Minnesota girl. You should at least consider the gophers <laughs> valiant it effort it didn't work out so no. anyway um so that's good enough i think and i think we'll move to our main topic topic uh, it's kind of a vague topic and yet i think a really important one it's the idea of the opinio legis which is loosely translated as the opinion of the law this idea that we strive our default position as human beings is um, a system of law that we do something and then we're rewarded and if we don't do something then we should be demerited and so that idea of law if we put that It works pretty well in the regular world, but if we put that with our relationship with God, then we're no longer in a loving father-child relationship. We have a business agreement with God, right? A quid pro quo, I do this, you do this kind of thing. Um, And if you mix that with your own father, then the father becomes the tyrant, the the person who is, uh, you're always trying to please. And and you can, 
that can be pretty devastating and we all understand that and yet it just even if you tell somebody over over and over again about grace and even if they they cognitively say yes i'm saved by grace alone it's just still comes back again and again and again and i wanted to have uh, you on here um to how does this get played out with college kids right so this is kind of an episode where we're going to try to mix a little bit of college campus ministry well with the core of campus ministry and that of course is the gospel so maybe we'll just start with what is a day in the life of a campus pastor yeah so this is something i've been trying to figure out since i came this is my fifth school year now um and and one of the main reasons i came here was i was excited about getting into uh, more direct pastoral counseling. Um, and since I started doing that, I've been trying to figure out what exactly that is, uh, to, to figure out what that is. I, I mean, it's, it's easy to say that it's helping students get through the day, but it's bigger than that. It's, it's law gospel proclamation on an individual basis. But the thing is, students don't come to a campus pastor looking for a law gospel proclamation. They come because I can't get through organic chemistry, mm-hmm. and I need someone to help me through that. So most of my days are spent one-on-one with students with any variety of things. Um, I, I kind of turn into a catch-all, um, which most pastors do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether it's, I, I'm, just, I'm just struggling to get through the day, I'm homesick, I'm... Um, can't get along with my roommate, you know, all this kind of stuff. But then every once in a while, you have an opportunity where somebody says, I don't know what's wrong, but something's wrong and, and something's off. So then we, we kind of start this discussion to figure out what in the world is, is wrong, what in the world is off. Um, so that leads to just Bible studies. Let's just open up the Bible. Let's start talking, see what comes out and we'll go from there. Um, because, you know, when you're talking about, I know that I'm saved by grace alone, these students come in knowing that, mm-hmm. but they really don't know it. Um, they haven't been able to uh, make it personal in the way that it needs to be. So I spend a lot of time just trying to help them figure out how to do that. Um, beyond that, you know, you get into the administrative stuff, but that's not why I'm here. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. Yeah. A day in the life is just one-on-one with students. Right. And, uh, you know, there are some, and and I should mention uh, that, you know, oh, counseling because organic chemistry and stuff like that. You also deal with some pretty heavy stuff too. You were being, you were being nice there. (laughs) You're being, you're being nice there. Uh, We know that there's, uh, there's always family issues. There's always, there's money issues. There's um, deep sin kind of issues and all that kind of stuff too. Uh, But either way, you're trying to lead people to. Uh, to law and gospel. So, um, do you find, do you find that, that, that is true, that the default position that they will often go back to is, let's call it self-justification? Yeah. Um, but they don't know that. (laughs) And I think that's, that's the most interesting thing is they'll mask that with, um, I just can't do well enough in this homework. And what's sitting behind that? I'm just not a good enough person. So I have to prove myself. I I had this discussion with a group of students the other night. So I'm working through this book, um, 
with my, I do a Thursday night Bible study. It's called Walking with Jesus on Campus. Not all of it is great, but um, Stephen, I don't know. Do you want to pronounce K-E-L-L-O-U-G-H? Kelloff? Kelloff. Kelloff, whatever. Anyways, he was a campus pastor for 25 years. And what he says is that the biggest problem every college student has is that they want to be loved by God. Whether and, they know it or not. Well, and, and apparently he says that this was actually put out by the students. That's what the, hmm. that's what the students said. So I put that out to our students. Mm-hmm. Is that true? And being the good Christian young folk that they are, they said yes. Mm-hmm. But once you start playing it out, they're like, well, no, my biggest problem is organic chemistry. My biggest problem is um, making it in sports or whatever. Um, they don't know that it ultimately comes down to, am I accepted by God? Because cause their, their worldview is so small. And, and I hate to talk disparagingly about college students because I know quite a few of them listen. Mm-hmm. Um, but their worldview is so small and they can't see that there is a bigger picture. Um, and, and with that small worldview, they don't think anything has to do with their, um, their relationship with God because it's all about getting an A right now. So I think it, it's part of my role to help them see that bigger picture. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think, I think you guys as theologians in the classroom do that too. They help, help them to see that bigger picture uh, that ultimately this comes down to. Do I have a God who loves me? despite the fact that I'm failing organic chemistry. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if you got a better way to help students get that. <laughs> I, I, it's well, hard. Yeah. And I, I just, from my well short time here as a teacher, but also as a pastor, it just boggles my, I mean, we'll, I mean, we hammer home two kinds of righteousness, long gospel justification. I don't go a class period without bringing that up. I don't think, um, at least in the in the intro classes and in the in the biblical classes that that I teach, and I know those other guys don't either. And then you get a test back, and it's you can tell that they're answering a question that they don't have the right. They don't have just the memorized answer to. Right. Right. So they got to think now. So they got to put something down, and when you try to fake something you are vague and you use in, in any in any discipline. You write something that uh, is kind of empty platitudes or kind of generic this Jesus loves me is the answer kind of thing. Right. You know, you know, what does God want from me? Well, he wants me to obey him, you know, and uh, that kind of stuff and it just kind of comes out from the students you know know better, right? And this was the case I know as I mentioned in the intro even with our elderly lifelong Lutheran went to church every Sunday and they just at the end of their life, as they look back, want to tell somebody I tried really hard. I did my best. And, and as you were saying that I was thinking about some of the people that I served in the congregation before I came here. And, and one of the differences that I notice is the elderly tend to lose that filter. Mm-hmm. The college students aren't going to say it out loud. Yeah. Yeah. When you're 85 years old and just about to meet your maker, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's no filter anymore. Yeah. So I'm thinking of four or five elderly folks that said that word for word. Mm-hmm. I hope I did enough. Yeah. And the college student doesn't say it out loud because they know they're not <laughs> supposed to. 
But it's a default position, right. and when you get a situation, and I'm thinking, we had a test today. That's why this is on my yes. mind. Yes, I have but, not looked at my <laughs> tests yet. <laughs> I'm integrated, and uh, there was a few that wrote down, let's say, an opinion legis, law-oriented, you know, they mean well, but they didn't have the answer, so maybe they panic, and their default is, God wants us to be good, so we should be good, and if we're not good, then there's going to be punishment, right? right? And that's not because they live in America or they didn't get a good Christian education. It's because they're human. Right. They're human. And we, our default position is always, always, always the law. So when, go ahead. You no, know, I was just going to say, I also taught an adult um, theology course as well and uh, had to require them to write a paper and I inherited the class, so I also inherited the paper topic, which I have since changed, because one of the paper topics was um, writing a paper on the Sermon on the Mount. Take people who are brand new, mm-hmm. not Christian at all, and like you said, human, mm-hmm. and what they do with the Sermon on the Mount is it just, mm-hmm. if you don't understand grace in any way, the Sermon on the Mount is going to just fall flat on its face. So yeah. I had a really hard time grading those papers because they completed them. They did fine, but mm-hmm. the, the theology was just That's awful because true. that opinion legus is right yeah. there. Right. And it's one of those, it's got a click. You have to say, okay, the, uh, this, the Sermon on the Mount is law in the sense of this is impossible. Right. You know, and the only gospel there is, now Jesus saying, I, I don't know if he applies or not. Maybe that's too far. But now go wa- go watch me do this in right. your place. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, I think, finally where it is. Um, and this is kind of a pet peeve of mine, um, really from people who should know better. But um, I mean, really should know better. I don't want to go down that road. But assuming the gospel. So my people already know the gospel. And so we've moved on from that, and now we're going to get on to better living. Whatever that better living is going to look like in that particular context, whether it's going to be a social gospel, love your neighbor as yourself, or it's going to be um, a conservative gospel, which is God's going to bless you, or it's going to be kind of this personal, I'm going to try to become a better person, whatever it is, it's all the same garbage. Uh, We have people that should know better, that have that have letters after their name that should know better <laughs> who, who have heard that assuming the gospel is denying the gospel. They keep, will say that, right? My people already know the gospel or from the person in the pew, I already know that I'm saved. Now I need to know this. Yeah. And I just want to say, come, come to one month of shut in visits with me and you will change your mind. Right. And, I'll tell you what's really hard about having this conversation right now is it's it's really hard to say exactly what's going on in my head without saying I had a student who, because I got so many examples of this, specific examples of how this plays out. And if I say too much about it, that student's going to say, why are you talking about me (laughs) on the podcast? Um, But, but you just see it all over where, um, you know, I'll talk about the gospel over and over, and I'm going to talk about how Jesus died for me and he saved me and all that stuff. And in the very same breath, say the exact opposite. Yeah. And like, if you could just record yourself and right. listen to what you're saying, right. you know, and you talk about assuming the gospel, my goodness. But uh, on, on the other side of it, it also is up to us 
preachers to make the gospel mean something right. for you today. You know, right. it, it's very easy to fall back on Jesus died for your sins and now go. Yeah. And, um, that, and it's, it is hard to preach the gospel for a whole ministry or career. And not because it's not beautiful and delightful and wonderful and great, but it's so easy to come up with ideas about the law. Right. I mean, it's just so easy because right. there's there's just, there's a gazillion examples out there, and it can be hard to keep the gospel fresh because the gospel is so simple and beautiful. Right. And and yeah. I think too, when when you talk about the simplicity of the gospel, it can show up in surprising ways mm-hmm. when I'm interacting one on one with students, where students will pick up on a gospel gem that I never would have thought of, that goes beyond Jesus just died for my sins. Um, I'm recalling one, and I'm going to spare all the other details, but we were going through Luke 4, Jesus casting the demon out in the synagogue. And I asked a student, I said, what what characteristic about Jesus do you see on display here? Um, and I'm assuming power, authority, something like that. And she said Jesus was brave. And And the concept of Jesus being brave there had never really occurred to me. I didn't really think about it. Digging a little deeper... Um, she saw Jesus as brave for her in a way that she couldn't be brave for herself. So, so she sees Jesus as savior from all of my sin. Yes. But she sees me, she sees Jesus as her savior for this specific time right now, what I'm dealing with today. And, and to think of my, my savior as a brave savior, Mm -hmm. is just not a concept that I had considered, but it just kind of. It, it opened up something for me. Maybe there's a lot of other ways we can look at Jesus as Savior without without taking anything away from the complete picture. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I can zero in on a specific gospel point for me right now today. Mm-hmm. And then when I wake up tomorrow, it's going to be another one. Mm-hmm. But it's all centered around that full, complete Savior. Yeah, and I, I think, I, I don't know about you, but looking back on our relatively short, although we're getting up there in age ministries, um, that the gospel became more delightful to me every year and it became easier for me to be fresh with the gospel. I think it's probably the experiences that we have, Mm -hmm. like you just mentioned. And I hope that by the time they tell me I can't preach anymore, that um, I never stopped growing in my delight of the gospel. And I think I've had experiences like like you just mentioned too, where um, you, you see the gospel in so many different places fresh to you as you look at scripture and that that's helpful. But you ha- I think you kind of have to be, you got to be taken by these, by this gospel over and over again. Um, and if you just go, yeah, 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 I know cognitively Jesus died on the cross, the whole redemption story. And I look at the scriptures and I try to find some nugget that's going to be entertaining or that's going to be useful for my people maybe I've robbed myself of those delightful moments Mm -hmm. and then have robbed my people. And I had a a former professor of ours, uh, um, Dan Lyra, just a brief conversation once. And he, he said something that struck me, like we're kind of talking about maybe the gospel isn't as preached as we, (laughs) we think it is even in circles where you would think it would be. And he says, I just don't get, are these guys bored with the gospel? Are they bored with it? And um, <laughs> the yeah. answer is probably yes. Yeah, yeah. 
with, yeah. I just, one of the things that I've been trying to figure out lately as I, as I work with college students one-on-one is it, gospel proclamation. I, I, can, I can talk to the student who's sitting across from me and just say, stop it, Jesus died for your sins. Mm-hmm. And there comes a time where, have to where you need to say yeah. that. Like uh, Dr. Johnson likes to say, Jesus loves you, deal with it. Right, exactly. <laughs> there are other times where you have to sit patiently with a student and help them figure it out on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when you start the conversation, you know exactly where it's going to go, but you just have to sit with them and slowly bring them along. And, and that can be such a painstaking experience because you just want to shout at them. And so, so one of the things I've been trying to do is figure out what is some sort of way that I can bring these students along. Um, So with more and more, I've been doing biblical narratives and just asking them the questions like I did with this one student. What characteristics do you see on display? What uh, pretend that you're not the blind guy in the story um, pretend that you're watching Jesus heal the blind guy. Uh, because so often I think we look at some of those stories and we say, well, great for that person. Mm-hmm. That person got healed. You know, I'm not getting healed anytime mm-hmm. soon. So what happens if you're watching it? What happens if you're one of the mourners in the room with Jairus? What are you seeing on display? And, and sometimes it can be eye-opening for students that they realize, like I said, this one person said shoot, that, that Jesus was brave they realize that there's a depth to the gospel there mm-hmm. that they didn't know about before. Um, they didn't necessarily see the depth of the gospel in that story. It's just like, let's go to Jesus' cross, period. And believe me, I'm not saying that we're mm-hmm. abandoning the cross by any means, but there's helping students to get to that point where they can see how deep and precious the gospel actually is. Yeah, we kind of sort of joke about some of the you know and not just i'm not just saying students in college or whatever but you kind of went through the sunday school and all this kind of stuff and you kind of come away with three points you know um you know god's word is true we should love jesus and we should tell people about jesus and that's kind of the depth that we have um and that fades that yeah. fades real quickly or you get bored with it. Right. You get bored with it. And um, if you're bored with it, certainly if you're a preacher, your people are going to be bored with it as well. And then like I, I say to so many people, you know, then life gets real in quotation marks. And I, I need to hear the gospel, yeah. but I just don't realize that it's the same gospel that I heard when I was a little kid. Yeah. I, I need to hear that again. Yeah. And part of this too, the, the flip side is, um, you know, to the person who assumes the gospel, uh, what I'd like to say to them is you have, n- you have, you have underestimated the depravity of your own soul. You have yeah. underestimated this. And so a lot of this is law, right? I mean, you get, you, you have to, the importance of preaching the law and the alien work of God. I mean, it is true. Um, a weak law is probably going to lead to a very weak gospel yeah. message. And, um, you know, the only thing worse, of course, is only law, no gospel. Right. right. Um, but if, if you understand yourself is totally depraved, then the gospel is sweet. Switching gears slightly. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So this is a conversation I had the other night too. I'd love to get your feedback on it before I tell you what the students said. So back to this book that I'm working through, um, Walking with Jesus on Campus. The second chapter has to do with weakness. And he asked the question, is weakness a good thing or a bad thing? So I posed a question to the students, but I think we could pose it in society as well. Does the college campus foster an appreciation for weakness? In other words, if you take it the opposite way, does a college campus foster um, an appreciation for the opinion legis mm-hmm. uh, that, that I'm always trying to justify myself? Mm-hmm. Does a college campus actually almost make worse what our human nature already is? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think in two ways, um, you know, I, I think that the obvious way is it's, a, it's definitely a meritorious kind of place. Right. Everything's about grades. Everything's about scholarships, it's about money. It's about, I suppose there's a status and did you make the team and popularity and all that kind of stuff. Um, it, it's just generally, f- just the fact you're going freshman to sophomore to junior to senior to graduation. Yeah. I mean, you are moving. Um, there, There is grades. There's a gradual uh, movement upwards. And so, um, and, and, you know, it is a place where the week get left behind very quickly in the early part of the semester. If right. you don't, if you have not, if you do not have the focus and you're not the type of person that is brilliant enough to get away with this, which is most of us, you know, if you're not on board week three, um, right. You know, so there's yeah. a lot of pressure, um, add to that money and all that kind of stuff and relationships. Then I think about, and, and this is probably more something that occurs in the media, and I'm not quite sure about, I think we can, confl- bigger question here, I think we can conflate, especially as conservative Christians who want to play the martyr game that the whole world's crashing down and America's going to hell in a handbasket, um, that we kind of conflate what we get through whatever media we we use, mass media or personal media or whatever, uh, social media or whatever, um, with actual reality on the ground, mm-hmm. right? But the picture that's out there, especially through conservative Christian eyes, is college campuses are just a den of, you know, in the 80s and 90s and before that, a den of just absolute sex, drugs, and rock right. and roll. And now it is just an absolute um, den of liberal whatever, whatever. I don't know that that's always that true. Um, But the reason I bring that up is because we can have a false theology of the cross. Look at me. I'm the, I suffer. Therefore that's my glory. Mm -hmm. Right. And we can do that personally. And I just wonder if our drive for self-justification, our law-based opinion, legis, um, whatever, um, that drive coupled with a very strong social justice movement leads some of us to be victims when we're not victims to justify our suffering, therefore to justify our existence. I have it tougher than you. Yeah. So in a weird twisted way, maybe a college campus can be that place too. We were, we were talking about this really interesting that you bring that up because um, same thing came up. We were we were talking about how we assume we live in a world of one-upmanship and one of the students 
I, I hadn't heard anybody else say this. They said, I think we live in a one downsmanship society <laughs> where we're always trying to out victim each other. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and he said, you know, sometimes maybe we have to acknowledge on a college campus, we don't have it as bad as we like to think right. we do, right. you know, but I just, I'm going to hang on to one downsmanship for a while yeah. because it, yeah, the, yeah, the students picked up on that. And, and I think, and we're not saying that people who are actually victims, we should not. Right. We're, in fact, I would make the argument that those true victims are victimized twice because they get used in pawns yep. of people who aren't really suffering. They get used in this pawn as pawns in these other people's attempt at self-justification. Right. Um, but yeah, I think there is, there's a race to the bottom, which I, I misspoke before is a negative theology of glory. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and maybe we were waking up to say, Hey, this theology, you know, this, this work righteousness isn't working very well. Uh, it seems a lot easier just to not try and play the victim. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we all do that. Oh I my mean, goodness. Yeah. I mean, I, so I, I served in a very, let's say Republican you work hard and you get rewarded. We don't give handouts to anybody and you don't ask for handouts to anybody kind of culture. Fine. Um, but boy, are they want to promote how hard it is for them to work Yeah. and how righteous they are because they actually get up in the morning and do that. And so there's, there's a victim card that's being played there too. Yeah. Um, and, and we've talked about this personally, but then on the podcast as well, uh, that's a dead end when you try to justify your value in any shape, way, or form. It may be, it may be strict Pelagianism. I do something that's good and then God gets me into heaven, but more likely it's going to be a lot more subtle. Yeah. Maybe a victimhood kind of thing, or maybe a, uh, whatever it is whatever it is that you try to find value in yourself outside of the blood of Christ. And, and what it's so liberating and so freeing. And, and honestly, I think this is one of the, one of the things that makes what you and Wade have been doing with the podcast. There's a lot of college students who are picking up on what you guys are doing. And I think because they're hearing a message that they're not hearing through college and it's not the fault of any professor. Mm -hmm. It's not, any one person it's just what the college campus is you know so we're talking about weakness and we're going through um second corinthians 12 and the thorn in the flesh and paul says um when i am weak then i am strong and and to a college ear that sounds great but that is not my daily reality Mm -hmm. so for someone to come in and say you realize that your eternity is not based on what you're doing here in school. And I know you you do this, and I, I, I do this in my class. I, I can't tell you how much I don't care about your grades. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they all start laughing mm-hmm. because they realize how, how liberating that is. Mm-hmm. To be freed from all of that and to just live, to just mm-hmm. do your homework for the sake of doing homework, um, it's such a foreign concept. So then you try to convince these students um, it's okay to be weak. And they're like, no, it's not. Because <laughs> if I'm weak, then I don't get to grad school. Mm-hmm. So I, I think to some extent, that's what, that's what makes what I get to do very satisfying, but very frustrating at the same time. Because 
in, in teaching a, the, a theology of freedom in the gospel is so contrary to where I work. Mm-hmm. And, and, and again, not because of where I work. It's mm-hmm. just the nature of how the world works. Sure, sure. So, and college is, a, is not a microcosm of that. It's, it's the world on steroids right. in a lot of, a lot of a lot of cases. And you kind of get what Luther was getting after in the, in the Heidelberg uh, disputation there in his theses where he says, we have, we have very bright students here who could get this, who could write down, you know, we go through the theology of the cross and glory all the time, who could write that down, who could write an absolute excellent paper on the, those uh, Heidelberg theses but until they lived it because there's not really a theology of the cross. There's theologians of the cross. They have to live it. And a part of that is they got to get smacked around a little bit. They Mm got to get smacked around a little bit. And, and so you don't, you don't revel in your weakness because that would be a negative theology of glory. Look, I'm weak. It is after you've been beaten down, you go, now I see, now I see that this was, a false law that had been put on me probably by myself, at least to some extent Mm -hmm. and God smacking me around to say that is a dead end. And, uh, you know, I, I gave you enough rope to see that it was a dead end. Uh, now here's the gospel and what follows the gospel is that freedom. And so we, you know, when we, you and I, uh, uh, talk about, we don't care about your grades. You should just learn for the sake of learning. I think we imply, if not say, once you're free, you're actually probably going to be get better grades. Right. Yeah. Because <laughs> you're actually learning the material. Yeah. And you'll actually appreciate it and you won't hate it as much. You still will, but you won't hate studying as much. And you'll actually, you actually figure out what this whole college thing was always intended to be, which is, but very rarely in our modern competitive uh, world is just the joy of learning and becoming a full person. Yeah. And I, and I'm afraid, and I'm sure you back this up. I'm afraid very few st- students get that and or get there. I shouldn't say get that. They get it. Maybe they don't get there Yeah. in their own life. And when you talk about that experience, so sometimes all you can do in the position that I'm in is teach it to them and hopefully someday they'll get it. Yeah. And you know, they're sitting in your office just kind of glazed over as you're, as you're talking about the theology of the mm-hmm. cross. And, and I, I try to put it in different words because right. some of the people I don't, some of the people I talk with don't know what the word theology mm. means, <clears throat> um, let alone the theology of the cross. But, but you just have to tell them, just trust me, this is going to make sense. Mm-hmm. And you start sounding like your parents, mm-hmm. you know, and it, yeah. but, um, but you and yeah. I have those things all the time right. where, you didn't get something until you were 25, 35. I'm assuming at 45 and 55 and 65, that's when I'll probably have lessons that I learned for the very first time that somebody told me over and over and over and over again. Um, and so, yeah, you just got to keep putting it in there. Um, and, and the, I have teenage daughters. So, you know, I just got to keep saying stuff. Right knowing that it's 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 not going in one ear and out the other it's just getting lost in that head of theirs yeah but it's still there and they'll get it eventually and uh i i think that can be very 
not rewarding, but the, but a sense of a sense that that's something that's I'm not going to get the benefits of this particular part of my ministry. And I may never know, but that's okay. Cause it wasn't about me at all. And I think that's true of all gospel preaching. Like, you know, rarely is there a come to Jesus moment, but down the road, who knows? It's up to the spirit there. Yeah. yeah I, I, I can't help but share some experiences, you know, and when you talk to college students, it's, um, they, they just don't get it. But I, I remember this one guy I was dealing with that had no connection to the church mm-hmm. whatsoever, diagnosed with cancer, and calls me up because he needs someone to do his funeral. Um, and so I met with him and I said, you realize it doesn't matter who who does your funeral ultimately doesn't matter where you at with Jesus. You know, we mm-hmm. went through that whole conversation. And so I get to know this guy a little bit and he says, all the opinion legis stuff that you would say, I'm the kind of guy who gets a shirt off my back. I'm, you know, if somebody's got a car broken down, I'll pull over and help him and all that stuff. I'm meeting with him for the better part of six months. And I think it was about three days before he died that, um, he was he was in hospice. His family had left. It was just him and me. And he said, Pastor, I just want you to know my whole life I've been a real a-hole. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know what? I think that's the first honest thing you've ever said. Mm-hmm. But what he needed was to get, like you said, that hard two-by-four upside the head to just be honest. Mm-hmm. Like, finally you've been honest. Now let's talk about mm-hmm. Jesus. Um Hopefully you can teach that to a college student before they're sitting on their deathbed. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know what, you're, you're not going to be okay just by getting A's. Mm-hmm. That's not going to do it for you. And as soon as you reach that goal, it's a great goal to have. There's but you're going to quickly find out that you're no longer satisfied. Yeah. And now it's the next one. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the way I frame that particular thing is... Um, you know, whatever, whatever accolade that, that mankind can give you, you're always, you're never going to be satisfied with mm-hmm. that. And so if I won a 30, if I won 30 Nobel Peace Prizes in a row, I would want 31. Yeah. And, and I think part of that is we understand that we're made for something better than this. Yeah. Created in the image of God. And, and that desire to find value and a, and a, that desire to justify your existence, which we're all doing all the time, a hundred percent of the time. Um, it's just, it's just a dead end. Yeah. You're never going to get there. I don't care what religion or no religion you are. Um, we all do it all the time. And to say, here's the only place where you have peace and that's an undeserved, no strings attached love. It, yeah, and and how many people, myself included, live in the the should world? Mm-hmm. Uh, we pretty much in my office when you come in, students find out pretty quickly you're not allowed to use the word should <laughs> in my office. Um, I, I'm just recalling one student who, super high achiever, naturally high anxiety, because. Um, High achievers tend to have mm-hmm. high anxiety. I can't imagine what the correlation is. But um, he, was, he was telling me that if, if, I don't, if I don't 
work as hard as I can, then I'm not doing my work in a God-pleasing way. Mm-hmm. So I asked him, can you, can you tell me what that means? And he said, anything below an 85% is not God-pleasing. <laughs> and I, I was just floored. Like, I'm not, I'm not surprised that he had set a, a standard for himself. Yeah. But the fact that he actually had it, you know, if, if it's not an 85%, I'm just thinking, man. So what happens when you get an 85%, yeah. like you said? Should have been an 86. Yeah. What happens when it's an 86? Yeah. Should have been an 87. And every time you use the word should, that goal is going to be one step higher than where you were. Mm-hmm. And um, we, we just had to finally eliminate that thinking. Mm-hmm. You just can't think that way and function. Yeah. Um, so how freeing it is to say, God didn't expect 85% of your best. Mm-hmm. He gave you everything. Right. Right. Yeah. And sucks the joy out of life real right. quick, real quick. And I do worry about that. And as you look around in our society and in our, in our, our kids in our classroom today, I kind of want to like, you guys should, you guys should go have some fun. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I, this is not like, this is, this is not animal house. Like we're like, you guys really should actually, you know, go to class. No, it's the opposite. It's like, you should go have some fun maybe a little bit. Well, yeah. And I, I'm not going to get into old college stories or anything <laughs> like that. But every once in a while, we, we look at it and students are so much less creative than we were in college. We got in trouble, but for dumb stuff <laughs> that, you know, we're going to look back on it. Our professors look back on it and say, man, those guys were a bunch of idiots. Mm-hmm. But, man, get get creative with getting in trouble, <laughs> you know? And it just... Yeah. And, and it's not like we're saying... Go get in trouble. Yeah, because yeah. especially for you, you're going to have to deal with it. Right. But you do sense a, just a little bit of... There's a lack of freedom and joy. There's just a lack of freedom right. and joy in our world. And uh, it's not just that the politics are crazy. It's not just that we live under the threat of domestic or um, international terrorism. It's the law gospel matter mm-hmm. at its heart, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it is kind of sad to see that a little bit. Yeah. And, and I think what I try to do with students who are struggling with that joy and that, free, I know the pursuit of happiness is something that's come up here mm-hmm. several times, but, but it really is a thing for students to try it, striving for that happiness, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'll actually grab a piece of paper and draw a timeline with A to Z. And wherever you fall in the alphabet, let's say you're on letter F, can we be sure that Z is set, that the end of the picture is set? Because students can't see past F, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So if you know how your story ends, and your story ends in the mansions of heaven, in the loving arms of your Savior, then F is going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Because after F comes... What's after F? G? <laughs> it's hard to pick up the alphabet in the middle. But, you know, and, and there's, no, there's no assurance that G is going to be better than F. Mm-hmm. But you know where you're going. You know mm-hmm. where the end goal is. So you just take those ups and downs in stride and just just live. Yeah, and I, I mean, sometimes, <clears throat> you know, in our pastoral care, you just have to say what Katie Luther said to Luther in your own way. Be like, you know, Jesus rose from the dead. Right. It's going to be all right. <laughs> exactly. You know, or these 
sometimes the trite things, if they're at the right time, can actually be kind of helpful. Like, I've always gone back, this too shall pass. Mm-hmm. Like, I know you're not old enough to know that, but this too shall pass. Yeah. And even if it doesn't, it will pass eventually, if even if it takes to all eternity. Yeah. Um, but Jesus rose from the dead. It's going to be all right. And And to use a buzzword that you probably didn't want to trend down before, um, a student may not see that as relevant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. Jesus rose from the dead. But if, if you frame Jesus rose from the dead in connection with the freedom that I have now, if you want to say relevant, yeah. then it becomes real. Yeah, it could be anything more relevant. And then, of course, we, we could begin the discussion right now, but we're at the end of the baptismal life into the death and resurrection of Christ yeah. is the most relevant thing that could happen every day. Right. And uh, try, try to hit that home with my students too about, which is kind of hard because you, actually it's not too bad. You know, we do have students that are non-Lutheran from more of an evangelical background. And so, you know, they like us, but the whole baptism thing is, can be, mm-hmm. can be difficult. And uh, to really do the Romans 6 thing, you know, it, it's we're not talking about infant baptism here. We're talking about, we are, but we're not, you right. know, we're talking about uh, a death and resurrection that they, I can almost guarantee you they've never heard a sermon about that. Right. I can almost guarantee you that most of our Lutheran um, kids that come here have never thought that deeply about what it means to daily die and rise. And that that section of scripture, Romans 6 to 8, I've used with many students. We just walk through all three chapters to see here is the entire life of a Christian. Mm -hmm. And look where it ends. Mm -hmm. You know, Um, it's already done at the beginning of Romans 6. But to see the whole thing between Romans 6 to 8, I think it's helpful for some students. Yeah, I was going to ask you um, earlier in the in the episode. Do you have some favorite passages that, you know, I mean, obviously you're going to tailor it to the person in the situation, but you're somewhere right. like, this is just so helpful. I, so I use it often. Yeah. So I do a lot of one-on-one Bible studies. Um, passages, not so much, because I think passages can get a little bit cliche. Mm-hmm. Um, I can do all things through God who gives me strength. You know, I'd rather go through the whole book of Philippians. Um, but my standbys have been Ephesians 1 to 3. I've, I've used that a lot in connection with identity. Who am I in Christ? Um, I've used First Peter, gone through that several times um, to see what a life of suffering looks like and how Peter offers that big picture encouragement for those who are in the midst of suffering. Um, also, like I said, Romans 6 to 8 has been a standby um, for those struggling with guilt. Look, here's where your life starts, and, and now sin is going to be present with you in Romans 7. But look at the victory song mm-hmm. of Romans 8 to get that whole picture. Um, other than that, what I do a lot of more recently is just picking out biblical narratives. Let's just walk through the story and see what happens. And um, like I said at the beginning, sometimes the students offer more insight into some of those same, those old biblical narratives. So I love working through the book of Luke. I know Mark is Wade's favorite. Um, I think I'm more on your side. Mm-hmm. Um, I picked the right gospel there. Mm-hmm. Um, but Luke just has some great, just vivid stories to work through with students, and they can put themselves in that place. Mm-hmm. And... Um, yeah, so those are a few standbys. Excellent. Well, we're about an hour right now, and so I want to thank you for coming on. And short notice, by the way, um, 
I told Greg to, can you do this? And you said yes. And a couple hours later we did it. So, but I knew that I was, um, driving this morning thinking about, I'm like, this would be a good topic that we could both, uh, talk about with a, a fair amount of experience, but, but also without any prep, which makes it really kind of natural and, and, and neat just to let the pastor talk about right. these things and, in a passionate way. And you let me do what one of our old professors used to say, my favorite thing is just talk about myself. <laughs> so how easy is that? <laughs> That's great. So uh, I think that no matter where you are in life, the kids going through the catechism or Sunday school, whether you have the stress of high school or, or uh, college, or whether you're about to take your last breath, um, it's that opinion legus will always rear its ugly head, but uh, we drown that in the waters of baptism and the death and the blood uh, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, and from there, I think, especially for our college students, what follows is a very refreshing, peaceful life of freedom. Not easiness, but not a life of ease, but a life of freedom. And that's where we get our that's where we get our tagline here for our podcast. So, dear friends, let the bird fly. Every evening when the sun goes down, get with my party and I begin to cry. I don't care what the people are thinking. I'm not drunk, I'm just a drink. I set them up another round. I set them up another round. I set them up another round. One more round won't get me down.